0: Hello and welcome to the Demystifying Media podcast. I'm Damien Radcliffe, the Carolyn S. Chambers Professor of Journalism at the University of Oregon, and today we're going to be talking about documentary storytelling. Joining us in the studio today is Jake Swanko, a cinematographer and documentary producer who graduated in 2011 from the University of Oregon's School of Journalism and Communication. Jake served as Director of Photography and Assistant Producer for the film Icarus, which won the 2018 Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature and the 2017 Sundance Film Festival Orwell Award for revealing the truth at a time when the truth is no longer a commodity. Alongside this, he's also made films for a wide range of organisations, including the Associated Press, CNN, ESPN, HBO, National Geographic Television, and many others. His new film, The Dissident, about slain journalist Jamal Khashoggi, premiered at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. Jake, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, I'm really excited to be uh, able to have a chance to talk to you um, both about your life and work since you left the uh, the SOJC but I wanted to really start by talking about your new film um, The Dissident. You um, mentioned um, when we were talking um, off air that it's had kind of a really kind of positive reception. Um, it's been quite a challenging film in many cases to kind of um, put together. Could you perhaps describe a little bit about what the film is about and, and how it came to be?
1: Well um The story is about uh, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, who was a a journalist, uh, columnist for the Washington Post. Um, uh, He was critical um, throughout his career of the um, Saudi regime, um, in particular, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS for short, um, and his um, rise to power. And um, he was considered... um, an enemy of, of the Saudi regime after a certain extent and, and and sort of transitioned from being a journalist to being known by the Saudi regime as a dissident and um, uh, an opponent almost. And, and what we uncovered through the story was um, sort of a long history of Saudi Arabia silencing freedom of expression and silencing uh, voices that are of political opposition to Um, the crown prince, and the monarchy. Um, Ultimately, um, our story centers around what happened on October 2nd when uh, Jamal Khashoggi, um, he had started his new life. He had left Saudi Arabia and was writing for the Washington Post. He uh, had met uh, a Turkish woman by the name of um, Hadija Genghis, and he um, wanted to get married. And um, he—so— she became his fiancée and on, on um, October 2nd in Istanbul, he had to go in to require the uh, correct paperwork to um, get married to his fiancée. And when he walked into that building, uh, he was greeted with pleasantries and tea and coffee and things and um, ultimately um, a team of assassins um, subdued him and suffocated him and then dismembered his body, and, and which led to a massive global cover-up, uh, which eventually Saudi Arabia admitted um, through a series of trials um, and tribulations that he was, in fact, killed in that consulate. And um, we start off from there, and it, it really unravels with this story about um, Dissidents, um, those speaking out against the Saudi regime. One person in particular is Omar Abdulaziz in Montreal. And we then start with the story of Etija uh, Genghis, who um, fell in love with this man leading into the final moments of his, uh, his life. And then we kind of dovetail into how all of this happened and what it means for uh, specifically how the Saudi regime has, has um, manipulated Twitter, which is on, in Saudi Arabia, eight out of 10 are using Twitter. And it, it is the basis of freedom of expression in the country and how they've used that and manipulated the platform to push their own agenda. And we also go into sort of the cyber warfare, the espionage, and the hacking tools that are available to many regimes, many governments that want to spy on political opponents, dissidents, journalists, and to subvert their activities. So,
0: and, and it's felt or kind of I think one of the things you t- sort of touch on in the in the film is that that hacking may in part have made it possible for. Uh, this the Saudi regime to know where Jamal Khashoggi was going to be and actually make his murder possible. And
1: we feel that the hacking of Jamal Khashoggi's phone and also another prominent dissident that he was working with were some of the moments that ultimately sealed his fate. Um, they had hacked his phone. They realized that um, they were starting to create a Twitter army to combat the army that Saudi Arabia was using. They were beginning other plans um, to actively um, create a a platform for freedom of expression in Saudi Arabia. And um, all those things we think ultimately uh, led to him being murdered that day and that he had to be um, silenced.
0: So there are a lot of things in there. I mean, obviously, on on the one hand, you have the kind of uh the wide shot, if you like, of this is the kind of big picture here in Saudi Arabia, and then through the lens of one particular kind of very famous um journalist. What do you want people to take away from the film? Is it is it a film where you you just want to tell that story, or do you actually want to create kind of impact and change and get people talking as a result of what they've seen?
1: I think the really great thing, and and you know, when you go to a Sundancer one of these festivals you spend so much time and you're, you're in basically uh, an edit suite with a handful of creative people making decisions. And, you know, you get into uh, an audience like Sundance, where you have a couple thousand people, 2000, it's still a small pool, right? You haven't released it to the world. Um, and you, you, you have people come to you and they have a whole uh, myriad of reactions to it. And I think that's so great. And I, I, I love it when people can come and, and see a film and they say one thing, they picked out one thing like, you know, some people really love this story of the cyber espionage of of the Pegasus Tool version 2, which was licensed by the Israeli government. And they want to know more about that. Others had the most heartfelt sympathy for Hattisha and and this love story that ultimately led in such a tragic, unbelievable way. And uh, other people really gravitated towards Omar Abdulaziz's story where this guy had basically, Saudi Arabia had sent two of his brothers over along with a, a Saudi agent to try and convince him to go back where he would ultimately be tortured and maybe even killed. So, um, you know, the the takeaway is I think, you know, I have never really gone out to make films that I thought would make a huge change. I think what, what I always thought that was kind of the loftier ideas of another type of filmmaker. What I do think is that you kind of isolate a story and you find those aspects that touch you and, and, and reach to what you want, the type of story you want to tell, and you tell it the best way you possibly can. And the great thing with this one is, is people, um, have watched it and they, you know, and we got better reviews for this film than we did with Icarus and, I, I've never seen a crowd come up to you and their hands are shaking and, you know, there's they're, they're literally speeches and they just thank you and thank you and thank you for making this, you know, Hillary Clinton was there at the, the premiere of our film. And she, she said, you know, she was standing up talking about another film and she just went off course and started talking about how people had to come and watch our film, which is just amazing. You know, that's, that's really great. And to, 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 to bring the level of production value and the attention to detail to a story that is um, otherwise could be swept under the rug and which there is so much money and political influence to throw this under the rug. You know, no one wants to talk about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi anymore. I mean, there's, there's hundreds of millions of dollars at stakes that the Trump administration has flatly said that they're not going to be
0: quote unquote foolish with Saudi Arabia. Um, in is term- that a challenge for you then both in terms of whilst making the film and then now when it's completed and despite these positive reviews getting a getting the right distribution deal to ensure that as many people as possible can see this
1: yeah we we knew what we were making was uh was red hot you know we knew that it was a fire and, uh, and it still is, and it's incendiary and so we for years, it speculated for the year of making it had speculated, uh, you know, who's going to do this, who's got the gumption to take this on. And I think, you know, the unfortunate thing is, is a lot of these social media platforms, these entertainment platforms, they don't really see a, um, a moral incentive or a moral duty to the some of the audiences they serve. And that's what's really bothered me over the year. And I've kind of had to relax my expectations of what I expect but um, to make a, a, a really f- a film that are people are responding to in a very good way and then to not know what's going to happen in terms of distribution is really kind of heartbreaking because you would hope that somebody would step to the table and be like this story is too important to let the shadow of money and influence um, uh, overcast it and um, we're still working to do that and my hope's not quelled and nor will it ever be but it's um it's one of those age-old stories of truth to power you know and and i think distributors should ask themselves uh, uh, what's uh, what side of the history do they want to stand on ultimately
0: and is that also partly a, a- contributing factor there that a lot of these distributors, particularly the kind of the tech platforms, they're exactly that. They are kind of delivery mechanisms. They don't they're not necessarily driven by journalistic values or kind of wider, lofty societal goals. They are there to deliver value to their shareholders.
1: And and what do you think about that? I mean that's sort of this thing where I'm I disagree with it. I think there should be some you need to have some sort of moral responsibility to the public you serve. Then again, you could just say it's about globalization and a, a, a markup uh, cost benefit sort of analysis of. I mean, I'd love to know your opinion about it, you know?
0: Well, it's a film I want to see and, <laughs> and, and I've had to kind of look at, at um, uh, reviews of it and for people who've been been in the room and been able to watch it and I haven't had the chance to to do that yet. And you'd like to think that um, distributors would recognise this is an incredibly important story about um, human rights, about upholding the kind of society we want to be, as you said, about holding truth to power, of not being cowed by commercial relationship. And i also recognising that the kind of content that is on offer and that is available and if you look at Icarus um you know being picked up by Netflix and distributed uh, there that, that there's a spectrum of content that is being offered so if you want to watch love is blind and that's your thing and you don't want anything that's more challenging that's fine um but that there are opportunities to be exposed to a wide variety of different ideas and points of view which includes everything from originals made in different markets through to documentaries like this.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, there's also the question of of censoring your platform not based off of the entertainment value or the reception the film received, but based off of the foreign um, influence that's being pressured on your company. I think there's a big difference between being an entertainment company and then censoring your platform as well. So we're in this headlong battle. And um, in a lot of ways, it's indicative of, you know, the battle that Jamal Khashoggi fought for freedom of expression and for to to speak his mind and the fact that he couldn't let it go. And he left his whole life. He left a life uh, in Saudi Arabia to um, pursue his voice and because he felt like it was that important.
0: So, do you feel a duty to your, to your subject to also tell his story? He's not here to put that point of view forward anymore. So do you feel a sort of a moral compunction to uh, to act as, as a facilitator for him and, and to give his keep his voice um, current and alive in the world?
1: Well, 100% it weighs on you. Imagine telling a story of uh, uh, and fighting for the access to be one of the few uh, filmmakers to tell this story. And definitely weighs on you the implications and also the density and the sadness of the story of what actually transpired on that day um you know you want to do the best you possibly can given your your background and you push for the biggest budget on this and and we did and you know i think all of us in the all of us that were involved in the project are very proud of what we created um and for people to respond to is that vindication you search for um now it's a matter of pressuring power that be to make sure that a lot of people see the film and um so we feel like we did we we did the best we could and we got the level we have a level of access that required us to be intensively involved for up to 250 days from last year and um we got more information than um any news outlet did um so you know it's a difficult question to answer because you can never really do someone's life justice um but i think the important thing is is that um we really tried and we pulled out all the stops and we spent a lot of money to do it. And um, and I think that's as much as you can ask um, from a team of filmmakers in a year.
0: I think the, the, the access point you've made there was also something that was very striking for me when I saw Icarus. Um, and just seeing, obviously, it's well known, this film starts in one direction and then suddenly does a hard 180 and goes in a completely different uh, uh, route to, to how anybody would have would have expected um and i was i was curious with that you know what the relationship was like with you with your with your subject and how that potentially kind of changed as their circumstances changed because you you know you really feel for um Gregory Radchenko yeah sorry I wanted to make sure I pronounced his name correctly yeah. do you really feel for Gregory and you know, hes it's very clear that you know he's made an enormous sacrifice living his his family behind uh, the revelations that he makes very much puts his own life at risk and still is to this day um, did that did you find during the course of making that film that um, not only did it go in an unexpected direction but did your relationship with him also change as a result of that
1: yeah I, I... The film definitely changed, and I think, you know, the thing that Brian and I kind of come at with working with people and stories and with The Dissident and also with Icarus, you know, we try and explain to people that we're in it for the long run and that we're, we're there to support their decisions To with Gregory ultimately came out and said that, you know, all of Sochi Olympics was a fraud and that he was the mastermind of that massive scandal, um, we've continued to take care of him and work closely with his lawyers, although he's in, in hiding and, um, do the best we can to continually, uh, make sure that his information is corroborated and brought to the highest levels of sports. And, you know, we're on that same sort of trajectory with this film, only in a very different way. Um, uh, working to, to hold, um, uh, responsibility to the the distributors to get this out into the world. And, to make as big of a, a splash as possible, um, bring attention to human rights in Saudi Arabia. With Gregory, uh, he is without a doubt a one of a li- once in a lifetime sort of character, and um, we had developed a very close relationship. And working with him in Moscow, and then when he ultimately came to to um, uh, L.A., and then when he moved on to non-disclosed locations. It was just this really. He would always say to me, um, Jeek, can you imagine meeting me in 2015 in Moscow, and now we're sitting here in bar having drink? It's just like, and and there's no other world where this ever takes place. I mean, it's just. And then for Russia to be banned from the Olympics that year, and then him to go into hiding and stranger than fiction doesn't seem to do it enough justice it makes reminds you that anything in this world's kind of possible and that story in particular and um working with gregory was one of um one of my favorites um definitely because of he was just really a child at heart and you know he uh, a very a very fun infectious sort of personality everybody even his 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 security guards and his uh Secret Service guys, or is uh, God? What's the term they use for it? Uh, but probably better not to even say. But the the security that manages them even love him, you know, and you know, bring him, you know, whiskey and snacks and things like that whenever they see him. So,
0: and with with both of these films, given that they were um, kind of evolving and unfolding in front of you whilst whilst you're filming. How does that shape the storytelling process? Because you don't know what the end point is, is going to be. Do you have a sense of, as this is unfolding, this is the arc? Or is there a point where you just say, actually, we're going to stop kind of around about now and then we make sense of it?
1: Well, this this one in particular, The Dissonant, was different than Icarus. It, there's similar kind of stories, um, but with Icarus, we were in the center. We were we were like the stone that dropped in the middle of the, the pond, and then the, everybody was the ripple, and they we were the epicenter of this, this thing because we had Gregory. Now, with the dissident, we entered into the story after the, somebody threw the rock in the pond already, and we were battling through those ripples to get to the epicenter and become part of the circular information sort of uh, gathering. Um, and so we worked through that and we moved quickly. We were really nimble. We're, we're not a big company. We found uh, some money and we just started to work and we started to work on our access with these people. Um, with this story, we understood it It took place in the past very very brief or uh, or very um, recent past, but it was nonetheless the past so and I understood that with the storytelling of it, we needed a a, a much better production value we I understood that there was going to be more interviews we needed a lot of people sitting and explaining is a very dense political geopolitical situation than between the relationship with Russia or uh, sorry between the relationship with um, Saudi Arabia in the United States and understanding what led ultimately to his death and the hacking of um, prominent distance phones. So I just understood we needed to have a, a greater production value and we needed to come in. And I also think part of me really wanted to prove something after Icarus that, you know, this just wasn't like, it was the story of, of, of the year and it was dropped in our laps and we ultimately made the film. Um, But with this one, I really, we really wanted to prove that, you know, that we could take on a big, big subject matter and and do justice to it. So we went kind of with uh, our hair on fire to make sure that we did it right. Um, And in terms of the story evolving, I think that's sort of a criteria for us picking the stories, you know, we really want to feel like uh, up until the last day, our our deadlines basically Sundance and we keep pushing that by the time we send them the finished film, they get, keep getting angrier and angrier because we did the same but that's ultimately our deadline is like we work within this scope of like okay that's the that's where we're going We're we're premiering the film at sundance and we're going to push it for as far as we can and then you know news starts to happen and the good thing is is like even once you finish the film you're ultimately waiting for its its global release and when you have something like the crown prince of saudi arabia or in this case, or previously the case of Russia and doping, this story stays in the headline, so it keeps the, the story that you made, the ultimately, like, so if somebody picks up the New York Times and they say, Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, and so on and so forth, and they're like, you want to know some more about that guy? Go watch The Distant. And they say, oh, wow, okay, this is, uh, that makes sense, or this gives you a greater context. What Films like ours do, they're plucked straight from the headlines. But in the inverted pyramid of what you need to know, fact based is a ton of minutiae and understanding this story and building it out visually. And so when you leave it, you don't read an article that took you, you know, four or five minutes to read. You leave a two hour film saying, wow, I have a really complex understanding but i was i was not bored you know so the evolving nature of of the story also allows us to keep pressure on people to to watch the film and to um ultimately um spread the word or make decisions policy decisions about their handling or the dealing with certain um regimes
0: and is it the type of filmmaking that you always wanted to to do?
1: No, I and you know, I was I think that's kind of I think some people set out and they and I know Brian's the same way. I don't think Brian ever really meant to make films like this. It was well, just Well, cuz he started
0: as a stand-up. And yeah, yeah, he did off-Broadway Yeah, shows he did
1: off-Broadway for a long time. He was a screenwriter uh when I had met him in in uh, 2003 or so and you know, he was given documentary a try and um Yeah, I think, you know, after Icarus, we kind of really started to put this equation together. Like we were like taking on big, powerful uh, subject matter. And um, at its root, you know, in order to take on, you know, people of unfathomable power and corruption, you kind of need a personal story to – Jump off from and and dive into that complex geopolitical thriller, because otherwise, if we don't have a person at the center of this, it's hard for people to relate to it. Otherwise, I'm just spewing a lot of information at you. So when Jamal Khashoggi was murdered, we had this sensationally terrible story that immediately brought people um, in his life to almost a, a level of infamy, and particularly his fiance um Hattisha. and um, we knew that this was the way to jump in and show how corrupt um, the Saudi regime is. So, yeah. Yeah, but, but to answer your question, I, I don't think... <laughs> I'm trying to bring some levity to yeah, the conversation. Yeah, I, well, I don't think, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, you never... I think we've always just wanted to make I've always wanted to, to make artistic films, experimental films. I wanted to bend bend uh, what nonfiction can do. And I think we're in a great place now with documentary where it's sort of expected for you to use the the uh, attributes and, and the tricks of the trade of feature films. And the production values are beginning to merge, not even close but the indies and the docs are getting at least a little bit closer mm-hmm. and my hope is that line will get closer and closer and and um you know um yeah we've we've never really t- thought to take on you know the the biggest power and creed in the world but you know it's just mm-hmm. those stories are usually have the most interesting stuff about them
0: and given that you're seeing this blending of kind of feature film characteristics and, and sensibilities, and that you're seeing that bringing that into the sort of documentary space, how important is it for you to potentially have your work shown on a, on a big screen, not just people sitting at home and streaming streaming this? Um, does that matter to you when you're when you're putting something together?
1: You know, I'm like right on that that. You know, same with you too I mean you're probably more of a theater guy but you watch probably a ton of streaming stuff as everybody does
0: yep I have two small kids so the cinema is a rare yeah, rare yeah. thing
1: well days. see that's the other problem right is uh, for you to go to a theater you gotta have two babysitters or a babysitter for you know your your movie going experience is a couple hundred dollars maybe more you know so the, the streamer the great thing about that is to be able to go hey you want to go see a movie about uh jamal khashoggi or you want to see a crazy movie or what happened with icarus you know it's like you, you would just sit i mean i would be in a bar in new york so you overhear somebody talking about icarus you think know? the great thing about that is is they can go well there's no reason not to watch it. it's in your living room turn it on watch it tonight you got to see it absolutely got to see it and what's frustrating right now is like we're, we have one of those movies that like, you got to see this Like, people are, like, taking by the hand, go watch it, go watch it. And it's like, we're not in your living room. And there's no reason other than the fact that, uh, you know, distributors are scared of it. Which is, you're sort of approaching, like, the banned book of movies, which is kind of cool, too. But um, I think you know, theaters serve a purpose and I hope they stay around forever. And uh, there's definitely an experience, a catharsis of entering in a a dark theater and sitting with a group of people and your attention's undivided from a screen. You know, you can sit and watch um, Roger Deakins's work. And, you know, I, the last two films I went to go see in a theater, I did A double feature, seeing Parasites, and then Nineteen Seventeen. So I usually kind of wait till the Oscar season's over or getting close, and then I watch all these movies that were kind of acclaimed. But it's it's just like it would be a a Greek tragedy if Nineteen Seventeen wasn't on a big screen. Right, it's not
0: streaming this week, and I'm like, no, I refuse. I I need to go and see it in a theater.
1: It's a it's a this gorgeous movie that got I mean, that cost God knows how much, and um. Yeah, I mean, I guess the the price of it. I mean, how much do they pay for The Irishman? Like one hundred and fifty million dollars for like a three hour movie. I mean, it doesn't really the, the the budget doesn't really matter. But it's like some movies are just meant to be seen in the theater. I think they're a part of our culture is, is is to go into a theater and lose yourself in it. And whereas with streaming things, you know, you could look at your phone and you know that's okay. And then you could walk off, cook dinner, pause the movie, and.
0: There's is there, is there for you as, as, as a documentary filmmaker almost an aspiration of will. I want you to concentrate on this. I want this is this this matters, and I want you to watch this from the beginning to the end without distraction. It's almost a bit like David Simon talking about The Wire when somebody I think it was at the Edinburgh Television Festival said to him, oh, "Yeah, I really have to concentrate when you watch your show." And he was like, "Yes, absolutely, <laughs> that is the whole point."
1: Yeah, I I think I don't come at it as a, a hard line of like you need to listen to this. It's important, but I get what you're saying. Our movie is so dense. If you, if you start to like wander around in your brain, you're going to get lost. It's, it's, there's so much stuff leading to this. It's such a matrix of information and we kind of wrap that around all these different narratives. And so, uh, you want the accessibility first and then you I think that the the nature of our minds are becoming increasingly fractured. Though that's just something with society as it goes on. Just the nature of you know the point and click sort of mentality is. Uh,
0: and so, does that mean you make films differently now to the way you would have done well, at the only, start of this decade? I we mean, only made the two. two. <laughs> so, but in terms of also the other other, I mean, I listed off at the beginning some of your some of your other credits. Is that also a sensibility that is that you're seeing? across the spectrum of your work, that you're having to um, respond to changes in audience behaviour, changes in audience preferences?
1: I think that um, what I have always kind of thought is no one will forgive you for boring them. So I don't care how important you think it is what you're saying. I don't care how much change you want. If you sit people down for two hours and you bore the shit out of them and say, wow, that was really important, I hope you learned a lot, they're not going to forgive you for that. So what we have to do is employ all of the techniques of of filmmaking, narrative filmmaking. That means the score. That means the cinematography. That means the cutting. That means the animation. And you have to walk that line of not sensationalizing a story. And we definitely walk that line with the distant. And um, I think the thing about great films, right? And Sundance is a great place to see films. If you have a chance to go, it's it's a great place to see films because you watch a lot of long, kind of sometimes pretty mediocre or very bad um, foreign films, or not even not even that the foreign films are the bad ones, but all of the sometimes some like a lot of the movies are bad. Or but you sit through two three screenings. A day, and you, you you realize, oh, this movie did that. This Matt and then you sit down, and you watch a movie like Whiplash, and your hands are sweating, and you're watching that movie, and you 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 didn't reach for one bite of popcorn. No, you look around, and everybody's doing the same thing, and that movie is just like moving and moving and moving, and it's and it it just there's you wouldn't want to take your eyes away from it, and I think. That's how we compel or are trying to compel people to believe in real life things that are happening in the New York Times and are happening in our world is how do we wrap this narrative, tell this story so people are drawn into it and they're invested in it. And then we could take breaths in, in the middle section of the film for them to invest more in the context and then go and then deliver some greater stuff in the end and finish hard. So um, it's really a matter of, of theater or streaming. You know, you want to have the ability just for people to be engrossed and to, to watch something. And that's so much of the, the craft of filmmaking is enslaving and, and, and over and, and not letting any detail overlooked, you know, because ultimately every single little detail contributes to the mosaic of whatever film you're making. So.
0: And is it fair to say you kind of almost chanced upon this career that, that you sort of when you were here as a student you did a lot of kind of writing and then you've talked about saying well, that didn't quite work for you and the moment someone put a camera in your hands you found your voice and you found a means to be able to communicate
1: Yeah I think oh, a lot of my career has been really lucky and been very humbled and fortunate to have met the people that I have um, just my life from the time I graduated uh, in 2011 till now has been this mosaic of extremely interesting people at the fringes or have extraordinary jobs or careers or you know um and uh I think it was a chance and um you know you kind of take a chance on the work that you want to do and what you kind of gravitated towards and you um you get one good story under your belt and you're kind of hooked and then um, that started with me at the SOJC with the first story I told about the Columbia River bar pilots and then I went on to that to travel in West Africa and then worked with heroin addicts in seattle i you know worked in crimea during the revolution in ukraine and all this stuff is like these series of people and that's all all what it boils down to is that i had this immense interest in other people you know and, and understanding their story and how it related to my story and these kind of timeless stories that have echoed through our lives about you know you know in our last film truth to power and um and was also another truth to power film and you know revolutions and um freedom of information and things of that nature um but ultimately it's people that bring these things to light and anchor it and and uh for me that experience has been um amazing And, and just going and traveling and meeting these people and talking to them and that's been really the uh the pretty extraordinary thing you know
0: and for students that you're meeting uh, during the couple of days that you're with us back on, on campus, what is the main advice that you kind of want to pass on to them as a, as a benefit of someone who was in their shoes sort of nine, 10 years ago? What have you learned now that you didn't know then that you, you want them to know?
1: Well, I think, you know, the what applied then doesn't always apply now. And the main thing is I just want to like slap the phones out of people's hands and say, you know, go out and do something, you know, inspire me, go out and do something. You, I mean, for as many people that are out there in this field and extremely skilled. The reason I come here is because the youth, these 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 people that are just leaving school now, they come with the most spark, the most uh, you know interest. They have still this grittiness and uh, greenness. Also, they they don't know how stupid they are, and you know I think that's a great thing. And and but they have an idea and they go towards it. And I just hope, especially now in this this world of kind of misinformation and uh a constant battle for the truth and uh truth specifically to power is that um you know journalism is very viable and um you just have to find in yourself what interests you and other people you can breathe smoke into them and and convince them that it's interesting and then all of a sudden you have this kind of ripple effect and that's part of what i'm trying to do here is just get people inspired about what work they do to take it seriously and, and you know, ultimately that the, the field is, is really open and, and it's a new frontier and, and your willingness to evolve in it, mm-hmm. to work and understand many different disciplines is nothing but an advantage to you. And the more you become centralized in one particular um, discipline, you should really, um, once you master that, you should move on and try and master something
0: else. And is there anything in particular you recommend that they should watch or, or read? Oh, so many things. Uh, <laughs> it's a $64,000 question.
1: Well, Tarkovsky on um, filmmaking, uh, sculpting in time, borders on uh, turning movies into a religion. Um, it's extremely dense, but I've read it a, three or four times. I'm re- rereading 1984, which is just a masterpiece. And it's just one of these books that is kind of Always been in my career, and in terms of the nature of the work I do, 1984 is just such a brilliantly written um, piece of work by George Orwell, and you just could tell he had this remarkable, almost like superhuman understanding of mannerisms and people and he was just this really a uh, remarkable journalist and um so 1984 tarkovsky on sculpting of time um what else movies eight and a half is a really great movie uh if you want a feel good documentary searching for sugarman if you've ever seen that that's one of those like rare beams of light that documentaries are actually like truly uplifting. So maybe watch when it comes out, watch The Dissident, and then not immediately you can watch Searching for Sugar Man <laughs> after that, just so you could feel at least good about some things. But, you know, documentary is 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 really great because it's it's evolving and it started from this, you know, point of true activism. Like, you know, um, what was the Sally Fields movie that uh, was like kind of, oh, uh, Barbara Koppel was sort of the start of uh, this movement to you know to make sure that documentaries really served an activism point of view and i think documentary is is we're kind of trying to merge that space of activism and entertainment and um just to understand the nature of where documentaries came from is extremely helpful um and you know there's a lot of really great documentaries that touch on things that are unfathomable depth like you know the Act of Killing is one of those movies that I think is probably top uh, twenty or thirty, not just in nonfiction but in fiction. It's just a remarkable
0: achievement. Um, you probably need to watch Searching for Sugar Man after that. Yes, yeah, well, as exactly. well. <laughs> yeah, <I> maybe <mean, laughs> <you> just <laughs> keep
1: keep Sugar Man going. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it but The Act of Killing is just such a, a bizarre, um, interesting film, and you know, I think the great thing is is like. In this space, uh, the space of uh, documentary filmmaking, people are encroaching on this fiction and nonfiction world, and uh, I love that. I love that. I think that's really um, fascinating.
0: Brilliant. well jake thank you so much for joining us today we wish you all the best with your new film the dissident hopefully you'll be able to see that in cinemas or streaming or both uh sometime soon and uh, jake will also be giving us a, a film documentary filmmaking uh, masterclass tomorrow which we'll be recording so keep an eye out for that on our youtube channel and on our website demystifying.uoregon.edu in the meantime it just remains for me to thank my guest today jake swanko until next time thanks for listening thank you so much If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not check out another from the University of Oregon School of Journalism and Communication. The Listener's Podcast is a show about the craft and power of listening. We talk with media and communication experts, thought leaders, doers and innovators whose ideas can amplify the quality of our dialogue and interactions. Subscribe to the show anywhere where you find your other favourite podcasts and visit listenerspodcast.com to go deeper with each of our episode's show notes. Thanks for listening.